Um, it is so lovely to be with you. Thank you so much. And Chantel sent me a nice little message on Facebook saying how excited she was that we were here with you guys this morning. So um, it's brilliant. Um, as as already mentioned, we are doing a little reception afterwards. So if you're interested in considering hope, we would love we'd love to see you there, and uh, it'd be amazing to chat to you as well. Um, just to mention, um, we've written a number of resources which. People, or I used to get really embarrassed mentioning them, to be honest, but then um, someone did point out that it probably takes two years to write a book um, from start to finish. It's all blood, sweat, tears, and lots of sleepless nights going to. And so I've written a number, and the first one I was going to mention is When Fake It Shaken, which is really, I guess, where all this journey started for me around understanding brokenness. And it's not a book that goes, you know, why is there suffering in the world? Is it the devil? Is it free will? All that stuff. It's more like when you're really going through it, what good is God? How do you handle it? How do you handle some of the things that other people say to you at the same time as well? Uh, and then the second one's called Honesty Over Silence, and it has a tagline on it that says it's okay not to be okay. And I guess this is my journey with faith and mental health. And it's really interesting as a guy, um, I think, I don't know if it's the same over here uh, as in England, but we have some of the highest suicide rates of young men. Um, under 40, it killed more people than cancer. And, and we just don't talk about mental health enough. We are talking about physical healing all the time. And I've been in meetings, even this, you know, while I've been here, it's, it's a big focus on physical healing, which is great. But I do believe that we need to have a bit more of an honest and real conversation about mental health as well, because it affects every single one of us. And so that's what that book is. And then the latest one um, is called Bouncing Forwards. And the reason I wrote this is because after I wrote Honesty, it had that tagline, it's okay not to be okay, which I really believe, but I got so many emails on the back of it, literally like hundreds, thousands, loads of those emails. And as I was reading them, I was just so heartbroken by their story. And I was like, I do believe it's okay not to be okay, but I don't want people to stay not being okay. I want people to do well, I want people to thrive, I want people to move on. And so I said to my publisher two months before COVID hit, <laughs> I'm thinking of writing a book on resilience. Now, resilience, by definition, is thriving in the midst of adversity. So imagine how I felt trying to write a book in the midst of COVID about thriving in the midst of adversity. But the fascinating thing for me was the research that said, everyone said resilience is about bouncing back. You've probably heard it from the telly, haven't you? Will the economy bounce back? Will the church bounce back? And all of it was about going back. And I was like, I don't want to go back. Why do I want to go back to my pre-trauma self that's been through less? I'm not glad that we've been through what we've been through, but I want to know what it means to bounce forwards. I want to change. I want to hear what God's saying. I don't just want to do things for the sake of doing it, because that's the way we've always done it. And actually, if you notice that I speak in every type of different church denomination, and every church has its traditions, actually. Every church has their way of doing things. And sometimes it's saying, God, what are you doing now? And what's it mean to bounce forwards, both personally as well as a community? And so that's what it's all about. Um, so if you're interested in those, um, uh, we're very COVID safe. We have machines and all sorts of jazz back there. Um, and then the other thing I want to mention is Kintsugi Ho, as I'm sure you're aware, is a Japanese word. It's, it means golden joinery. So we get a pot, here it comes, and we break it. Um, we probably mend it with super glue. So we try and pretend that it's okay. We try and pretend it's all alright. Or if we're honest, we'll probably chuck it away, right? Um, but what they do in Japan is they put gold powder in the glue. So instead of hiding the cracks, they make a feature of the cracks. Arguably, the object becomes more beautiful for being broken. It certainly becomes more unique. 
whole life out on planet Earth. And I'm a firm believer that beauty comes out of brokenness. You know, Jesus in his resurrected body had scars. You know that. There's going to be scars in heaven, which I think is quite natural. And we should be ashamed that actually our scars make us who we are. And so that is really all about the message of Kintsugi Hope. And my friend, who's not Christian yet, who came on the first Kintsugi course, um, she made bespoke pendants, um, which are individually made. Uh, it's really hard to get anything bespoke, um, to give to people that are going through a tough time. Um, so if you know someone's going through a tough time, it's really hard to know what to give them really, because they're a little bit cheesy. So um, these are beautiful, have some beautiful stories, all handmade. Now, as I go around the country, it's really interesting. I always ask people, how are you doing? And do you know what the number one answer I get is, I'm tired. I'm really tired. And then they sort of like look at themselves and go, I'm not really sure why I'm so tired. And, uh, and I put this little one caption up on my Facebook the other day. It says, why am I so tired? Could it be the last two years, COVID, free lockdowns, not seeing my family, job uncertainty, government guidelines, war in Europe, 24 news hour circles, cancelled holidays, the email you need to answer, rising gas prices, the rising cost of human living, lack of human contact, plus something else I just can't put my finger on. <laughs> the reality is, is that we are not in control. And we have discovered over the last couple of years that we are not in control. You know, young people say to me that they are living through their third once-in-a-lifetime crisis in five years. <laughs> and the pressure keeps coming and keeps coming. And, and even now with the war in Europe and other things that are going on, there's a sense of uh, hopelessness, there's a sense of powerlessness, there's a sense of, I feel really overwhelmed by this, but I don't want to feel too overwhelmed because I can't quite handle it at the moment, emotionally, what's going on. And then you feel guilty for not actually engaging with it as much as you think you should. You know, there's, um, there's this saying called secondhand smoke. Do you remember a singer called Roy Castle? Does anyone know Roy Castle? So he was, I think he was a trumpet player, wasn't he? And so he died of cancer, he'd never smoked a cigarette in his life. And he died of secondhand smoke. He died because all the stuff that was going around him was really, really affecting him. And, uh, and I think that's the same for a lot of people, that sometimes it's not just us people that are going through it, it's people on the sidelines as well. There's another um, psychologist called, um, he wrote a book called The Body Keeps Score. And the whole idea of The Body Keeps Score is that he says that trauma is stored in our bodies and not in our minds, which is really interesting. So I've had to go to hospital a lot of my life for various operations and tests and x-rays. And I know if I go to hospital, whatever reason I'm going in, even if it's to visit someone else, my heart starts to race. Why? It's okay. It's because I know, I feel, I've just got a reaction to it. And so I think there's all these interesting dynamics that are going on in our culture at the moment. And we're trying to work out how should we respond. And for some of us, it's simple. We're just going to harden up. We're just going to get through it. Some of us guys, we are not going to open up. We're not going to reveal our brokenness. We're going to numb. And we're just going to hide it all away. Others of us find ourselves getting angry at the smallest thing. Now, does anyone want to admit that that might have happened to them um, over the last couple of months? And it normally is driving. I have to say, I can be with the calmest Christian that there is. As soon as you get them in the car, suddenly all that pent-up anger comes out. And I have to admit, once I was in the car, it's so embarrassing, I was driving and I was in a rush as usual, and the car in front of me 
um, was just going so slow, and I thought, you know, the traffic light was about to change. I'm like, come on, lady, three of us can get past. Come on, you can do it. And she stopped, and then without any control, my hand came round and banged on the horn like this. And then it looked round, the person looked round at me, and then the person looking round at me was my vicar. <laughs> and I literally went, boom! <laughs> so embarrassing. And that, but actually anger spills off the social media, it spills, because anger is an emotional response to pain. You notice in the Bible, it doesn't say, don't get angry. It says, don't let anger become a resident. Let it be a visitor. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. And so all these reactions are going on. And so I guess what I've been trying to work out, what I wanted to share with you today is, is how I sort of see the next bit, how we should react really, I guess, to all this stuff that's going on in the world. Recently, I had the privilege of interviewing someone called Telly Waite. Have you heard of Telly Waite? Um, Telly Waite was kept in captivity for uh, about five years. For four years, he was basically had a bag over his head and he was tied to a wall. Um, he literally saw no one. And I've been spending a bit of time with him, and I think that's lockdown on an extreme level, you know what I mean? And, and he said to me, you know, Patrick, you know deep sea divers, when they go down to the bottom of the ocean, if they come up too quickly, what happens? You get the famous, right? He said the only way that they can come up is to go gently and to go slowly. And if we don't do the same coming out of COVID, then actually we're going to get ourselves in a bit of trouble. I was like, do you know what, Terry? I don't think I've ever heard anyone preach on gentleness before. I've heard power this and power that and healing this and dynamic this, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone speak on gentleness before. And so I started to look into it. I'm just going to give you for the next sort of 15, 20 minutes or so, just a little bit of a taste, really, on what does gentleness mean in the Bible? Because, you see, we need to go gently with ourselves, but actually we go gently with others. And we need to know what the gentleness of God is saying to us at this time. One of my favourite stories is in 1 Kings. And let me just read a little bit for you. It's the story of Elijah. It says this. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While himself, he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a boom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he may die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. And at once the angel touched him and said, Cheer up, mate. It ain't going to be that bad. There's a lot of people worse off in the world than you, you know. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. What's wrong with you? There's people starving in other places. And he said, Get underneath. He looked around. And there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and he drank and he laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back his second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. Now listen, nine, for the journey is too much for you. Who knows that sometimes the journey feels a little bit too much for us? It's feeling a little bit too much. And then came a powerful wind that tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God starts to speak very gently. And actually, if you look throughout the Bible at gentleness, Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. 
Proverbs 15 verse 4 says, gentle word brings life. You know, in the 89 chapters of the Bible, the only place that Jesus describes himself is Matthew 11, 29, where he says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. Uh, in Galatians, it talks about gentleness being a fruit of the Spirit. It also talks about in Galatians 6, verse 1, if someone falls away, don't give them a good kick in. Restore them gently. I love this quote, because this sums up. Because, you see, the thing is what we really need to understand is gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is not weakness, just the opposite. Preserving a gentle spirit in a heartless world takes extraordinary courage, determination, and resilience. Do not underestimate the power of gentleness, because gentleness is strength wrapped in peace. And there lies the power to change the world. I love that. There is gentleness, is strength wrapped in peace. Andy Moore says gentleness is an act of rebellion because it's going against the flow of what everyone else is doing. And actually, when you meet someone who's doing this, you know they've got something about their character, they're down to earth, they've got a bit of humility, there's no ego, their ego is quiet, they let things go very, very quickly, they forgive people, they're kind to people. But if I came down here today, and I did a little bit of a roaming mic, you're all looking very nervous now, and I said, gentleness is dot, 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 and you have to fill in the dots, I wonder what you would say. Now, I've had time to think about this really badly, yeah. Um, so I would say gentleness is taking a deep breath when my kids have lost the remote control of the game. Because <laughs> as a guy, I feel that this is one thing in my life I should be able to control, is the remote control. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about here? I get really, really stressed when the remote control isn't where I want it to be. Gentleness is maybe booking yourself into a hotel because you're exhausted and you need some time out, just for one night. Gentleness is ringing your boss and telling him you're not doing very well at the moment. Did you do that recently? You're right, preach. Gentleness is speaking kindly to yourself, especially after you've spoken at Bingo. <laughs> Gentleness is being fully present in the inner silence, the wonder, the struggle, the boredom. Gentleness is someone listening to someone else's pain, and gentleness is holding it there whilst in the midst of suffering. No wonder the Holy Spirit wants to be a gentle presence in our lives. So there's a couple of things we really need to think about. One is, who do we need to be most gentle with? Rob, let me ask you this question. Who is your biggest critic? Yourself. Your inner critic will literally beat you up like no one else has ever beaten you up before. Is that true? Um, you would talk to yourself the way that you wouldn't dream of talking to anyone else. And it constant, the constant chatter, isn't it? There's no way off limits. There's a psychologist called Martin Silman, and he said, he's been studying recovery for decades, and he said there are three things that basically delay recovery. Uh, number one is personalization. This is the belief that you are always at fault for everything. So some of us parents here know that if our kids are doing well, we feel quite good. But if our kids aren't doing so well, suddenly we think, oh, it's my fault. They're struggling with mental health because it's my fault. Because I, I, I had anxiety, but I didn't tell anyone. And suddenly, you know, they make decisions that you're not sure of. And you know, I know as a parent that sometimes our kids, no matter what you do, will make decisions that you probably, you wouldn't make. It's part of being a parent, unfortunately. But actually, it isn't all your fault. 
We take things so personally. It's our default position. And uh, um, we blame ourselves. Um, I remember there's a film called Good Will Hunting. Has anyone seen this film? Um, it's a guy, Robbie Williams and Matt Damon. Matt Damon is a troubled young person. Um, Robbie Williams' character is a psychologist. And there's a scene in the film I found so incredibly moving where they're talking about someone who's obviously been through some sort of abuse. And, and the Robbie Williams' character, he has this white folder and there's some photographs of someone that suffered from some sort of abuse. And he turns to Matt Damon's character and he goes, See this? Do you know anything about this? Yeah, I know quite a lot about that. You? Yeah, I've experienced some of that as well. Oh, your experience is, see this, son? It's more like that. It's like, yeah, but no. No, 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 look at this, son. It's not your fault. Yeah, I know. No, it's not your fault. Yeah, I know. Then there's lots of swearing, so I can't show any affection. Reality is, is how often we blame ourselves for things that aren't our fault. And this isn't about not taking responsibility, it's not about letting ourselves off the hook. It's something that we all often do. The second P that delays recovery is pervasiveness. This is the belief that an event will affect every single area of our life. So, like COVID, did it affect every single area of our life? Well, it affected a lot of our lives. But you know what? I can still email, I can still phone my mum and dad. I can still hug my children. I can, there's still a lot of things that I can do. And sometimes we get in that stage of, this is everything, it's not everything. And we need to try and work out how we can get perspective. And then the last P he said is permanence. The belief that an aftershock of an event will last forever. We had this little saying from Sugi Hope, which I found so helpful. Uh, when we were starting, it was, it was simply this. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And, uh, you know, some people say to me, well, didn't Jesus say you had to be perfect? In uh, Matthew 5, verse 48. And of course, unfortunately there, the Greek word for perfect is telos, which means to be wholehearted, to go towards completion. And the context of that passage is all about loving your enemies. And so what so often happens with a lot of scripture is we rip a verse completely out of context and then get it to say something that it isn't actually meaning because we haven't been bothered to look at the overarching message. We have got to be gentle with ourselves. We've got to be more gentle with our community. I remember years ago, I read this, and it literally um, shook me, to be honest. Um, it was a, out of a Philip Yancey book. Let me read it to you. It says this. A prostitute came to me in a state, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me she'd been renting out her two-year-old daughter to men interested in kinky sex. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. I could hardly bear hearing her sad story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea what to say to this woman. At last, I asked her, have you ever thought of going to church for help? I will never look, never forget the look of pure, naked, naked shock that crossed her face. She cried, why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. And I was like, have we lost the gift of being gentle with others? Not about condoning behavior, but it feels really disturbing to me that Jesus was known as friend of sinners. 
Um, sometimes I feel like we can be friends of meetings. <laughs> God's a love the world and sent a committee. And you know, politicians say to me, um, I've worked with quite a few politicians, the nastiest letters that they get are from Christians who claim to speak for God. Somehow, we've got to understand what does it mean to go gentle? And you know, the whole thing about Kintsugi is that, you know, most of you know, we've written this 12-week wellbeing program that we're trying to do in communities. And I know you guys have done some, and other churches in Northern Ireland has done some, and it's just been a beautiful thing. It's come out of my experience of just feeling broken and thinking, what do we need? And, and actually, the 12 weeks, they look at anxiety, it looks at stigma, it looks at shame, but it's all about walking alongside others, not trying to judge, realizing that we're not the rescuer, honoring someone's story, because stories are sacred. And before COVID, I was really excited. This map shows you where we were working. And uh, it was really amazing. And we were having people going, oh, we're going to start some farmer's markets. And I was like, that's a bit strange. Uh, but they went suicide rate amongst farmers is really high. Uh, we're going to start in sports clubs and in business clubs. And we're going to run it in our church. We're going to run it in schools. We're going to run it in universities. Really simple 12-week thing about well-being. And then COVID hit. And I was like, oh, my goodness, we're absolutely doomed. I like to personalise everything, and it's all my fault. Um, and we're never going to get over it. Um, so I literally did the three P's all at once. And my techie guys are like, Patrick, see that? What we'll do is we'll get everything online. Everyone can train. They don't have to come to London. And maybe we can reach more people. And I said, like, yeah, whatever. Okay, we'll give it a go. And, uh, and so we did. We put the training online. And then everyone started talking about mental health. And I was really glad we started this like a year before COVID. And then suddenly, boom, this is what happened. It's gone absolutely everywhere. There are thousands of people involved. And people are coming up to me, I'm meeting people going, I literally wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for Kintsugi Hope Kids. I've had people going to save my marriage. I had a lady in Wales the other day go, um, my daughter's doing her GCSEs, but she came to the Kintsugi thing, she had no confidence. Um, and now she's got confidence, I know she's going to do her GCSEs. Thank you for uh, putting on the course. I mean, I didn't run it, of course. It was the local guys, and that's what it's all about. And, you know, the passion is just to walk alongside, to communicate and demonstrate the love of Jesus, but in a way that listens and honours people's stories. I mean, you've got Caitlin here, who, you know, is singing later, and she's working three days a week in Northern Ireland to encourage churches to think creatively. How can you reach your community? Who are the people in your neighbours who you can actually reach out to. In Scotland, I was there a couple of months ago, and they were like, we're thinking of running a, a kintsugi group in the hairdressers. I was like, that's genius. Hairdressers are half therapists, half counsellors anyway, aren't they? They're like, that is what a great idea. So like half past five, like all the ladies who've had their hair, they're going to have a kintsugi group every, um, every uh, day, you know, one evening a week for the next 12 weeks. And about a third of people come in are Christians, and people are coming to faith. And people, because this is the key, right? You belong before you believe. You belong before you believe. And we're all broken. People start to feel healed the moment they feel heard. The famous theologian, Winnie the Pooh, said this. <laughs> Don't walk behind me, I may not lead. Don't walk in front of me, I may not follow. Just walk beside me and be my friend. I'll finish this story because um, I know your time is going. Um, a number of years ago now, we had a visit in the charity that I was running by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And, uh, and he was coming at 10 o'clock in the morning. 
Now the problem we were coming at 10 o'clock in the morning, he wanted to visit a lot of the young people that I was working with. Now the problem with him coming at 10 o'clock in the morning, that at 10 o'clock in the morning, most of the young people that I was working with were either in bed or in school. And so I remember that basically what happened was, I just got my youth workers together and went, right, Desmond Tutu's coming. You've got to get all the young people there. And uh, so my youth workers went around the estate and they've got to get to the bus, we had this big mobile bus which used to take onto the estates for people and stuff like that. You've got to get to the bus, Desmond Tutu's coming. And all the kids were like, who? <laughs> Desmond Tutu. And I thought, I knew who he is, didn't I? And so they were coming back, but they don't know who he is, they don't want to come. And I was like, can I tell them? Have they heard of Nelson Mandela? And they were like, have you heard of Nelson Mandela? And all the kids were like, yeah, of course you've heard of Nelson Mandela. He's the next best thing! He's the next best thing! He's got bling and everything, you're gonna love it, it's gonna be brilliant. And, uh, and so then in the end, what happened was, they got to the bus more out of um, knowing who uh, XLP was than knowing who Desmond Tutu was. And if you just go back to the previous photo, what you'll notice is I'm on the bus, well all the kids are on the bus, Desmond Tutu jumps out of his taxi. He then grabs my hand. And you know how some hot times, lovely old people, they grab your hand, and then they don't let go. <laughs> and then you're in that sort of awkward little moment where you're thinking, I'm not quite sure what to do now. Who's your Desmond Tutu? And we're holding hands in the middle of the state. And I'm feeling a little bit weird. Um, so we walked hand in hand all the way onto the bus. I was feeling pretty tough at this point. And we sat down with our young people and he started to talk. And there was a part of me that was like, right, Desmond, you've got to sock it to him. You've got to tell him about Nelson Mandela and Bill Poverty and this. Desmond Tutu just listened. And he kept listening and listening. He hardly said anything. And at the end, as we was coming to the end, he said, one thing you guys need to know is your past doesn't have to define your future. And then he grabbed this kid's hand. Now, there's always a kid in your youth group where you think, Lord Jesus, any other kid would be good. <laughs> this kid, not so much. This kid had smoked, it was 10 o'clock in the morning, he'd smoked so much weed at that point um, that he was fidgeting. He grabbed his hand, he looked him in the eyes and said, I'll tell you what you are. You are a V. SP, very special person. You're made in the image of God. You have the potential to change this world. And you know what? That kid, he didn't suddenly become a Christian. Um, he did get his hair cut. He did stop not smoking weed for about 48 hours. <laughs> uh, he went around the estate going, Desmond Tutu spoke to me. Um, but something shifted. And all the other kids there, it was incredible. And, uh, and they didn't know who this guy was. In fact, at the end, they were like, oh, it's really nice of Trevor McDonald to come down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, <laughs> there was a moment where the two of us were on our own. And, uh, and I said to him, um, he turned to me and he said a line, which I've told this story a few times, and the story's actually a lot longer. I'm going to do the edited version. And uh, he came to the end and he said to me, well, I said to, I literally stood on stages in front of 5,000 people and I lied. You're thinking, what? Why have we got this guy preaching at Vineyard today? I said to everyone that Desmond Tutu said to me, 
um, XLP, which is the charity I ran and founded with Kevin Peters, meant a God smile. But he didn't say that. He said, Patrick, you meant a God smile. But I'm quite happy about it. It was always about the charity. It was always about that. Because I'm my own biggest critic. And I sort of feel like, guys, we're all broken. I'm more broken than I've ever been in my life. But I think that's okay. And then actually when Paul talks about jars of clay and two Corinthians, the jars were made to break. They, they used the thinnest material possible to make sure. So they broke in here. Why? So the love of Jesus can get out. So the love of Jesus can get out. So then it'll reach people that no one else can reach. And I think that when we do that, when we have the humility to go, we're broken, but it's okay, because God can use our brokenness. Because you know what? People in our community, they don't always want the success story. They don't want to be sold Jesus every five minutes. That prostitute who is in that dire straits doesn't want to be sold Jesus. She wants someone that's going to walk alongside her and demonstrate the love and compassion of Christ. And that's where we come in. Take the mic in your hand. We're going to hear a song. And um, I was just going to read you a little poem. And uh, this is from When Faith Gets Shaken. And I think it's one of the most beautiful things that's ever been written, actually. Um, you've probably heard of it. It was written by someone who was hiding from the Nazis in 1943. And uh, it was found on a cellar wall. Uh, and imagine this child who wrote it. She wrote these words. It says this. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. And I believe in love, even when there's no one there. And I believe in God, even when he's silent. And I believe through any trial, there's always a way. But sometimes in this suffering, in this hopeless despair, my heart cries for shelter to know someone's there. But then a voice raises in the wind and saying, hold on, my child. I give you hope. I give you strength. Just stay alive. Father God, I want to thank you for every beautiful person here who is known and is loved by you. And Father, I pray, Lord, that as our lives are Full, all full of all sorts of bits and pieces and stuff from the past and the present that we're all trying to work out how to do it. I pray that maybe today we just learn to go gently, to go gently with ourselves and to go gently with others and to allow you to bring your healing and to make something beautiful out of our brokenness. Build a home 
Said you never. 